Hello everyone, this is Trey Borden, and welcome to this episode of What We Gonna Do. Erica, Akila. Akila, Erica. This is great. Like, actually, that's one of the best parts of doing this thing for me, especially since we've started to do more than one guest at once. It's like, hey guys, <laughs> you should know each other, and you're both bomb, and like, you're much smarter than I am on you know, many things, especially. No, no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, I, I wish. <laughs> We're both. I mean, like, no. I mean, like, look what you, yeah, well, you, you'll prove it on this episode at the very For, least. So. I'm rejecting it. I'm rejecting it. We're all amazing and great. Mm-hmm. That's true. There's space for all of us. There's space for all of us, but we're also like black. So there's that. Mm-hmm. The shine. <laughs> um, well, I really wanted to gather it. Well, thank you so much for being at What We Go and Do. Uh, and I think that right now, one of the things that is really encouraging about this movement that has taken like far too long to get the momentum that it seems to have now is kind of how all of a sudden a lot of kind of corporate actors are, are very now aligned with this movement. <laughs> um, you know, a fair amount of them have been kind of chugging along in their own way, you know, mm-hmm. prior to this moment. Mm-hmm. Many are kind of using this moment to accelerate that mm-hmm. momentum. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they do a good job of it, and sometimes they need to be a lot more transparent about kind of how long their journey needs to be. And so I think that kind of to parse this out, it was important to talk to people, you know, someone who's helping from the inside, you know, a brand like Condé Nast that has so many rec- recognizable personalities and brands and a lot of different situations therein um, that you can speak to. And then someone who's kind of brought in from without, who's able to say, let me assess your situation, kind of what your different needs are, and give recommendations. And I thought, you know, and here's me, who's like not doing really either of those two things, but has a lot of opinions about <laughs> how it's being, how it's going down. That's and an so important part of the work, though. I, I think so. And, I, you know, yeah. I'm also involved in kind of my own ways. Like, I have a lot of, you know, potential clients and current clients where I am trying to infuse um, recognition of the reality we're living in, even into projects that seemingly have nothing to do with that. So anyway, I'm really excited to have this conversation. So uh, as we begin, how about you just kind of introduce for our listeners and watchers kind of who you are uh, and kind of what your relevance is to this topic. Let's start with Erica. Thank you, Trey. Wow, I'm so happy to be here. Um, It's it's interesting. It has been quite a busy time in my role, Um, and so I'll start with that. Uh, My name is Erica Lovett, and I am the Director of Inclusion and Diversity at Condé Nast. And so what does that mean? Well, Condé Nast is a global media company, and so um, we have a portfolio of about 18 brands um, in the U.S. and about 32 across the globe. And so I primarily focus on the U.S., um, and what I do is I work with all of our brands on diversity strategy. So everything from talent acquisition to talent development um, to how we're showing up in the community um, to our events, to our experiences, all of that um, from a DNI angle is what I'm responsible for. I've been with Condé Nast for... Gosh, almost four years now. It'll be four years in October. Um, when I joined, I was the first ever diversity practitioner to join the company. And so a lot of stories about what that was like. And that might be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the whole art. <laughs> but, it, you know, it really has been a great journey for me. And to really see some of our brands go. And I'm sure, you know, if you're a consumer or, you know, someone that loves the brands who's been following, some of our brands have gone from very little diversity to being quite inclusive over the past couple of years. Um, and so I'm really proud of that work and 
happy to discuss it. So thank you, Trey. Thank you. It's like a, it's like a presidential term, you know? <laughs> you know, that's quite a bit. So yeah, we'll certainly get into all of that. Um, and next up, Dr. Kadeh. Hello, um, I am Akila in the streets. I'm Dr. Kaday. I'm the founder and CEO of Change Kaday. We are a diversity anti-racism uh, consulting firm. Uh, we'll, we've been around, it'll be six years in January, which I recently realized. Um, people found me much more exciting after the modern day lynching, some people say murder, of George Floyd. So we've been very very busy. Uh, we work in a couple of different areas, a few different areas. So, you know, advising strategy. Um, so helping people from zero or maybe even making a pivot with their diversity strategies. Um, oh shitness, which is fun for me because I get to be the Olivia Pope of diversity and go in there and handle it and fix shit, right? So we harmed a woman. We harmed a, a black person. What do we do? So it's crisis management, internal and external. Uh, we also provide executive coaching because executives, leaders are the most influential people in an organization and their behavior changes the whole shape of, of the workplace culture, right? And so we do that for lonelies and onlys. Uh, one of the few black people, the only woman in a, a leadership role, as well as we coach white people. I'm just going to put that out there. We coach white people. You have to. I, right? <laughs> Vital part of your work. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like you coach white people? Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the executive leadership, it's usually white people, right? Mm -hmm. And diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, anti-racism, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, it, it is unfortunately not represented in, in leadership positions. So there has to be a lot of, when we think about organizational influence, there has to be a lot of behavior change and along with the organizational change, which is what those things are, diversity, anti-racism. And then last, um, I'm speaker and a keynote speaker and I'm a podcast and um, facilitator. And I, I do, I, we do so many things. We're a team of six, all women, which I'm very proud of. Um, That's great. You know, I mean, if, if the right guy comes along, <laughs> I'm open, right, uh, to it. And so we work with all different types of companies because discrimination does not discriminate. For-profit, non-profit, startups, tech, retail, uh, fashion, um, hospitality, restaurants, advertising agencies. Any sector, it's probably got some racism. <laughs> it, well, all of them do. Mm -hmm. yeah. All of them do. Some are just like, we want, we want to have more of it, you know, <laughs> than others. I know. <laughs> well, thank you for that introduction. And, you know, just for our uh, listeners' benefit, um, I have known Akila most of my life. We have traveled. We've traveled to Africa. We have grown up in Sacramento. Uh, so it's so great to see that, you know, somehow we've emerged from all of that and doing the kind of work that we're both doing. Eric and I, Eric and I met in Israel two summers ago, almost to the day. I think yep. we were still in Israel in 2018. On the Sweating like crazy. Sweating. You know, we knew how to herd goats. We knew how to, I mean, we were doing the most, most. Um, and so that was a really wonderful journey that kind of allowed us to meet a bunch of people whose values and kind of were community driven. Um, we shared all of that. So it's great to see you in this role. Cause I, I want to say that for some people, this is a very bewildering time um, to be mm -hmm. in their job. But for some people, I think that it's like, they've been doing this work for a long time. Sometimes a lot of the times unheralded a lot of the times because someone made them, um, you know, or like their employer was like, we got to do this. So I guess we need somebody, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and now, like you said before, it's like people are like, oh, shit, 
Like, mm-hmm. got to do something. And I know that you guys are extremely busy, which is one of the reasons I appreciate you guys being on the Zoom. Um, but can each of you speak to kind of like what has it been to be in this moment where everyone's trying to catch up to you at once, either within your organization or people like trying to get you over here quick as possible? Um, who would like to start? Erica, since we've I mean, been yeah, hearing a I, lot about what you've been dealing with in the media, why don't we start with you? Because I know it's been a lot. I'm here to listen. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's probably one of the best ways to put it. It's been a lot. I mean, I, so I've been with Connie Nast for almost four years, and it wasn't until I feel like June where every single person in the company um, wanted to talk to me <laughs> and wanted me to join their team meetings. Um, which of course I'm happy to do. This is the work that I'm hired to do. I'm passionate about it. Um, but it's been extremely mentally, emotionally exhausting. There's no other way to put it. And I, you know, for myself, but also for the black and brown employees at the company who are maybe the one and only within their teams. And, you know, I'm trying to advise and coach them and trying to support them. And, you know, that's probably been the toughest part of the job over the past couple of months, I would say. Um, and, and also, you, know, you are a black and brown employee. Exactly. You know? so like, and there's no time off, right? It's sort of like, you know, you have to advise and coach everyone. You have to be on every single phone call and every single team meeting. And it's interesting. It's like, you know, people who are the best at what they do, who have never wanted you to join a meeting now, like can't do a meeting without you. <laughs> so, you know, you find yourself in these really interesting position, position where, you know, I'm trying to be understanding, but also trying to educate, but also mad as hell, you know, you know, exactly. and, like, and, I've been emailing and, you for three and a half years, homie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And finding, you know, the most appropriate way. And this is, you know, the challenge with working in the corporate world is everything is incredibly political. And I think, you know, June in particular was a moment where we were allowed to be mad at work, right? We were allowed to, you know, send those emails and say, I'm not working today. I'm calling out, you know, I'm taking a mental health day or whatever it was, right? Preparations. Preparations for a day. But now, you know, it's sort of like that, that you feel that period dwindling, right? And you feel sort of, you know, things are going slightly back to normal. Like, yes, we made the donation. Like, yes, we've donated, you know, ad space to the NAACP and other organizations. Trey, I know you have an opinion on that. <laughs> and, yes, <I> and so <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, and, and not, not just Connie Nass, but most companies, there's been this sort of performative activism, right? Which we've all been talking about, you know, on social media and in our group chats, um, but there's still the black and brown employees who are just waiting and saying, okay, company, like I'm here, right? Like what are, what are you guys going to do for us who have been here for the past five, 10, 15 years, you know, asking for things that we haven't gotten, right? It's nice that we're doing this, um, so externally now and in a, in a, in a public way, but what about us who have been here, who are like, you know, have been waiting for promotions, who have been waiting for, you know, development and just support for raises, whatever the case may be, and we've been looked over. And so that's the really like hard work that we're doing internal, internally now, right? It's, there's the fun stuff, there's, you know, oh, you know, we're gonna donate, we're going to give back, we're gonna be in the community, but there's real, you know, not so easy to talk about work that's happening internally with employees that, um, feel like they've been overlooked for a long time. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm a team of one, which makes it a, a little bit more challenging. Um, I do have a really great uh, support system within our HR, HR team. But again, when you're 
the sole diversity person at a company, a lot falls on you, right? And that so, size, it's not like you're working at a trade boarding company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, just one person exactly. to make sure it gets it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, I just really try to manage expectations and I am very honest with my leadership team. I will say, I do not know. I have to get back to you. I'm one black person, like, let me go consult with my people and I'll come back to you, you know, with an answer. And so that for me has made the job a little bit more manageable where I'm just honest and I'll say, you know what, it's been a rough day. Like I can't be on this 7, 8 p.m. meeting. I'll talk to you tomorrow and give you some advice, counsel, whatever it is. So I've been trying to really prioritize my own like mental and emotional health in order to do my job as effectively as I can, but it has been quite challenging. I'll bet. I mean, and like kudos to you because I can only imagine the amount of time. First of all, I can only imagine the amount of times in the, in the past three and a half years or three and three quarter years, whatever it is, where you've had to be like, because it wasn't the week where we could say whatever the hell we want. Mm-hmm. You're just like, mm. <laughs> and so like all that seemed to blow off. And I think that that speaks to something. I want to hear Akila's take on this is that all of these companies who are like, I stand with you. We love black people. We, you know, we woke. And it's like the employees are the ones who are like, I actually have receipts. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually have worked here and I've seen, I had the emails you've ignored. I've had the, the people that you've passed over that I've recommended. I've had, I've seen the people that you actually have, you know, allowed to rise in this organization and let alone the people who've already left who are like, well, let me talk about that moment. So I feel like this is a really kind of dangerous time for companies that, don't have a great track record who are trying to leapfrog over the work and claim something. And then their employees who are still there, like, you know what, actually, we're not going to let that fly. And I feel like that's probably when someone like Akila might be coming in and saying, let's like actually do a little diagnostic on what's going on here. Like, mm-hmm. can you speak to that kind of like, what is your role usually uh, in that dynamic? Yeah, no, well, you know, I am a, I'm someone who pushes, right? For people to be uncomfortable because nothing happens with discomfort in this work. Again, we have to think about where change happens and it's at the top and at the top are a whole bunch of white people. So are they ready to be uncomfortable? The reason why you see mistakes with lots of different brands and businesses is they're like performative allyship, performative activism. We need, we need people to know that we're not racist, but we're still be racist but we want them to know that we're not racist. So we're gonna donate, we're gonna do this and all that stuff. And then you have your BIPOC employees, your black and brown employees who are like, um, what about us? If you donate $100,000 to insert great cause here, I'm not gonna say but money is great to you know, put that out there. Are you putting $100,000 into Erica so that she can provide more support for us, right? And so, because you have white leaders that are making these decisions, they don't even see how they're using privilege decisions that are upholding values of white supremacy with how they're choosing to say we are not racist, but they are in fact using racist behaviors or again, upholding values of white supremacy. Right? So where I come in usually in the past, let me take a step back. May 26, I was just doing my normal job. (laughs) You know, uh, I happened to be doing workshops about diversity that day. And in the first workshop, during a break, I saw a message about something in the park. And I was like, what did, what did this Karen do? Like, what, what happened? And then I had a meeting in the middle and uh, Central Park. Yeah, Central Park, (laughs) that park, right? I had a meeting in the middle and a person I was meeting with, I'm like, yeah, and 
and did you hear about, you know, George Floyd? I was like, no, what happened with George Floyd? And then they told me, and then I was Googling, and then I had to do the same workshop for the same company, but a different group later about diversity and about privilege. And I was pissed. I was pissed that I had to do that. And I was like, you need to take action. I was friendly and kind, but you need to take action. Think what I was like, what happened today? Can anyone tell me what happened today? Right. And had that dialogue and conversation upset, triggered, because I've, I've been doing this work for a long time. Who I am today is the same person I was when I started doing this work. But May 27th, I woke up to an insane amount of emails and DMs because all of a sudden white people decided I mattered. Mm. White people decided I mattered because now they don't want to be people who are, are viewed as racist. Right. And so when you think about that, it's the same thing that happened to Erica. We want you to be part of meetings. Okay. But also on, on literally May 23rd, there was the same meeting. And now June 4th, they want her in the meeting. The only thing that changed that a lot of people don't realize is that white people don't want to be viewed as racist. And so that's why we're in a position where we are, we're busier, right? I worked for 19 days straight. And the reason why I worked for 19 days straight was one, I was like, I need to, black people are hurting. What can I do about it? Two, like Erica saying, I didn't know how long people would be interested in working with me. You have to keep in mind, I come from an outside perspective where I was like, okay, I didn't have to do PPP. My business is going to make it through, <laughs> you know, the pan will be fine until like quarter one, two of, of 2021. I didn't have to let anyone go to all of a sudden I'm in a position to have a white privileged business by January, 2021. And for those of you who may not know what that means, who, is who are listening, please tell me, <laughs> I will have zero debt, zero debt, zero debt. That's a white Congratulations. Yeah. Right. And so what that means is January 1st, I, whatever happens, that's now profit for me. And the reason why I talk about this is because in order for me to start my business, I knew I couldn't get a small business loan because I'm black. So I cashed out a big part of my retirement, right? So even to the work that I'm doing, there's systemic and institutional inequalities for it. So I don't want to be in a position where I don't put myself in a position to essentially have generational wealth whenever I decide to have a kid and, you know, all that other stuff. Um, some can say get reparations right now, right? For the work that I have been doing, actually get paid my rate. Mm. Because May 26th, no one wanted to pay me for doing a virtual, virtual, you know, webinar. They wanted it to be in person. They pay me for the rate in person, but they said, no, we're not going to pay you for that. Then all of a sudden they're like, what do you want? What do you need? Right? And so 19 days straight on day 19, I was like, I cannot do this. I will die if I keep working like this. And that in itself is another form of privilege, right? Where I feel that I have to work so hard to help other people understand the importance of being an anti-racist organization. Well, I was going to say, and what's, and what's so critical about that, you talk about this window of time where you can kind of mm -hmm. use your leverage and your power, but it's like all that, you don't know how long it will last. So it's like, how do you build a runway, not just for yourself, but for this conversation to continue where they, there is no going back. I mean, that's been the kind of thing that I think a lot of us have struggled with is we have it right now and there's a lot of eyes on it, but like, how do we make it so that there is no way to go back to, I mean, I don't think there is a way to go back to yeah. April, you know, yeah. but do, how far do we get? And I think a lot of that work is now. Um, how do you, 
how, how do you get organizations that to commit to being that way in the future? And how do you kind of sense whether someone's in it to build something sustainable or to build something that gets them through the PR cycle? I mean, well, you and Erica said that, right? Because it's, we have, we have more of a voice now. We can say things in a way that we haven't been able to say them before because there's this feeling of, I don't want to be racist, right? And some people, when they're saying, I don't want to be racist, they're learning and unlearning. Some people are just like, that's not me because I'm already an ally or perhaps an accomplice of someone who's already aware of their privilege and understands how to use their privilege. Um, but what a lot of people forget is that we're in an election year, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And so if you did not do well with the murder of George Floyd, you will, and you haven't learned from, from then, right? So some people figured it out in June, some people figure it out in July, right? If you haven't figured out what to do for your company and your employees, you are fucked for the election. There's no other way to do it because it's either three months are going to be really bad or four years and three months are going to be really bad. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's not that you have to have the answers and solutions to everything, but you have to start to build the systems in place to have transparency, accountability, people held to the same regard right? Feedback channels, looking at pay equity. I mean, you know, Erica knows all this mm-hmm. stuff, but you have to start doing these things now because soccer moms may be really more, they're going to be upset. Okay. So the protests for George Floyd, which are really important, will be compounded. Yep. We have, we have the pandemic, right? The pandemic is the only reason why we're in this position because people couldn't go to brunch. People couldn't go to their soccer things. People couldn't have activity. So they really had to think and reflect. That is how we are in a movement post uh, the murder of George Floyd. So we have that happening now. The election is whatever's going to happen between now (laughs) and the election on top of that, on top of that. So people are ready for some type of change because it's either inconvenient, they're frustrated, they're advocating, they want, you know, whatever that change is. And so if these brands and businesses aren't ready, it's not looking good. Well, and like, Erica, obviously there's been some turnover in your organization, not because of like necessarily missteps post George Floyd, but Mm -hmm. almost kind of uh, people finally saying what they've been waiting to say about leaders who weren't getting it right for a very long time. And kind of what is, you know, for the business person watching this now who wants to be transparent and proactive about learning, but also in that process, you sometimes need to expose kind of missteps uh, in the past. Like where, where does that person go? I mean, I don't want to absolve anyone who needs to be out because they just are not someone who needs to be in a position of leadership in any organization. But mm-hmm. how do we coach people who actually like could become accomplices instead of complicit in their organizations, uh, given how much frustration there probably is? Yeah. I mean, I, what I, what I tell my leaders right now is like, you know, you have to just take a look in the mirror and you have to use this time to really think about, have I been leading inclusively? Have I been managing inclusively? If not, like, like, let's like be honest. And we, we all know it's like, you, you know, when you maybe talk to someone in a way that you shouldn't, or, you know, when you've left someone out of, of a meeting on purpose, cause you just don't like them. And what are those common themes and why have you why have you been um, operating in that way, right? Because you know what you pay people. (laughs) You know what you pay people, exactly, right? And I think 
Look, I think this is an issue across the board, but I think especially for, for companies that are, you know, legacy institutions that have been around for a long time, you know, you, you don't question things, right? And that's the excuse of leadership always, not, not solely at Condé Nast, but across the board, right? It's like, this is just how things have been done. And when you're not, when you're coming from a background um, of privilege, you don't even think to question it, right? And so in my role, I have to, as frustrating as it can be, try to be understanding when I'm speaking with these leaders and understand, okay, they don't come from that background, right? So I can't always get mad. I have to come and I have to educate and I have to raise awareness. And then once they know, you know, when you know better, you do better. If they don't do better, then that's a problem, right? But if they don't know, then, you know, we can't change anything and I can't really hold them to anything. And so um, it's been, it's really been a period of look in the mirror, right? Talk to your teams. Let's have open lines of communication. This is the time. And, you know, and here's the thing. It's not just the black and the black and brown employees who are like, you know, up in arms. If anything, it is the white allies who are just coming out full force. (laughs) And it's actually been quite interesting to sit in these large meetings and, you know, have white allies say, you know what, you know what, so-and-so, I got this, you know, I'm going to address the elephant in the room, right? Like, I know that you have a lot on your plate. You're a black woman. You've been fighting the good fight. Like, I'm going to stand up to this leader for you. And it's actually been quite incredible to see. But I think those are the people who are really holding leaders, you know, to account and saying, the culture of these teams have not been great, right? And you, you're the reason why, or at least you're responsible for that. So what are you going to do, right? It's not necessarily a black and white thing. It's just, you know, a, a type of leadership style, right? That I think has been rewarded for a long time. And now there's a shift, right? Nobody, you know, nobody cares about being super exclusive anymore. Like people are all about inclusion. They're all about, you know, working for leaders who, you know, have values, who care about their employees, who, you know, believe in a work, some sort of a work-life balance. And so there truly has been a cultural shift. And I think that what we're seeing with um, institutions that have been around for a long time is that leaders are finally waking up and realizing that, okay, I've been operating in a way that's not sustainable. I've been operating in a way that's not going to um, fulfill my team. And so I need, to, I need to do better. And to your point, Trey, it's not going to work out for every leader. And that's, and that's where, you know, the board and the, you know, and other people and even external critics have to call it out. You know, I, I think it's challenging when you work for a company that has, <laughs> yes, you, Trey, <laughs> when you work for a company that's really... Um, in a public space and not in a good way, right? But at, this, at the same time, I think it's necessary because a lot of times the people have been trying to say the same things internally and it hasn't gone anywhere. So sometimes you need that external pressure. Not always, like not everything that people claim is not always true. Sure. But where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Like let's, let's just put that out there. And so I think that there's a mixture of sort of like the external, like if you are a fan of our brands, if you, you know, have been a subscriber for years and years, like you can see the shift and you want to see the brands in a better place. And so I think it's always helpful when we have people on the outside who call us out, you know, or say, Hey, you know what, or give us ideas or say, here's what you can be doing better. So, um, and there's a range, no, and there's a range even within like when, you know, even within your organization, like I continuously have people be like, when did Teen Vogue get like this? You know, and I'm like, they just, they, they saw the, they saw the writing on the wall or they had the right leadership. And like, 
that is the, if you had told me as a teen that like we would go to Teen Vogue to figure out like what to do as black and woke people, I'd be like, then, then the whole world has must have been, I mean, I don't even know what would cause that, you know, but then you have a, you know, a bon appetit where you're like, it's a smaller change and maybe even a more visible kind of like problem. So I think that it's been really interesting for you to have to deal with so many different mm-hmm. stages of this problem. Like it must be, it must make your long days longer, but you know, I appreciate that someone's like, like you was in there. And then for you, Akila, like, what is it? I, I think it's really interesting that you had the one seminar saw the news and then had to go back and look at Amy Cooper and be like, so we're still going to do this seminar. You know, like, I don't know what, how has your work changed in terms of like when we talk about being able to kind of speak more freely or we're seeing employees who for years have been silenced, finally speak, like how has that affected like how quickly you can do your job or how far you push when doing your job? I'm the same ass person as I was on May 25th, which was a holiday. So you get what you get. You know, for some people who don't like it, they don't work with me. And that's fine, because if you don't understand this and the process, then it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I tell people all the time, find the consultant that works for you, right? Because it's heavy lifting, it's uncomfortable work. Make it work. But the, the way I work is we are both experts. The client is experts of their organizational culture. I'm the expert of diversity and anti-racism. So it's a team it's a team effort to move forward. And everything I do is for the company to have accountability, to institutionalize the work. I am not the type of consultant who's gonna be like, here's this prescriptive package of what you should do. No, that doesn't make any sense. If, if any consultant has a prescriptive package of what people should do, they're not taking time, like you said, Trey, to look at capacity, you know, where they are, right? What they can continually build on. So um, I think this is an important time to talk about boundaries because it is exhaustive work. It's mm-hmm. tiring work. Sometimes I do two or three talks in a day on top of my regular meetings and it can be a lot. So I've had to learn how to adjust to the demand. Um, and I also had to learn how to be a public educator. I've never planned on being a public educator. I just wanted to work with companies because all of the work that I do is because of how I was traumatized in the workplace and discriminated in the workplace and diagnosed with severe depression, major depressive disorder because of the workplace. And I was like, what can I do so other people wouldn't feel that way? And if I felt that way, they could at least find a plan of action, either internally or moving on to the, to the next place. But with the injustices towards the black people, I felt like I had um, a calling to share my gift, which is what I call it, with the world. And so I started doing uh, power and privilege workshops for people to, um, you know, learn about their privilege because privilege is incredibly important and privilege is something that black people have, which white people also sometimes forget. I just don't have whiteness. So there's a, there's a hard stop with my privilege, right? (laughs) (laughs) With how how things are done. Um, But it put me in a, a, a different, a different part that wasn't part of the plan. Um, And so I had to figure out how do I, how do I, how do I deal with stuff coming on both both sides from the public and and from um, businesses. So I'm in a position where I'm doing everything as long as my mind, body and spirit and soul allow because I love myself first. I refuse. I refuse again to be in a a position where I feel less than devalued, not appreciated. So all of that is carried through from how I work with my clients and how I move forward. Um, I also feel like it's really important to share that white people forget 
that we've been doing this for a really long time. And when I say doing this for a really long time, we've been uncomfortable for a really long time. We've also had to do the work. We've had to learn how to live in white spaces. We've had to learn how to make sure that we are not harmed, right? And so, you know, what Erica's seeing, which is really great of like the you know, white people are like, yo, I got this. And they're like feeling really confident either as an ally or as an accomplice. It's wonderful and great, but it is not something that you do. It is a lifestyle, how we've had to make it a lifestyle, right? This is a triathlon, not a sprint for white people. It's a marathon. <laughs> no, it's, it's a triathlon. It's a tri. Listen to me. It is a triathlon. So when you're like, I did, I, I swam. <laughs> no, you're about to get on a bike. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just right. no. Yeah. You're about to, you know, do your your marathon. You know, the run, right? It's so it, that it's that. It's like never ending because the work that we do as Black people to exist in a place that upholds values of white supremacy is nonstop. It's nonstop. It's not and it requires lots of different, I mean, that's a very good analogy. I thought of a marathon because I'm like, because I did a triathlon. I'm like, at least that shit was over and I could do it. A marathon <laughs> seems like it can never be accomplished. But I mean, but I think that like that's, people are like, oh, wait, like yeah. I, I, I learned this one skill. We're done. It's like, nope throw that away or no, keep that, keep honing that. Now let's add on this thing. And mm -hmm. I think that that's going to be the, that's the worry is that, you know, anyone can jog. Anyone can just bike, but like, you know, we've had not just survive in spaces in public being black, we've had to thrive in whatever kind of corporate setting we've set ourselves mm -hmm. into. Um, we've had to thrive not only doing that, but also like remaining authentic and kind of there for our communities. I think that that's we something have I don't to know. Think about our hair. Yeah, something as fundamental as that. Why know? do we have to think about our hair? I can't tell you. I remember when I was like, Fuck this shit. Because I would always take all my hair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a doctor, so fuck this shit. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So Part of the I canon. Would, <laughs> I would take all this hair and put it back like in a bun to hide my blackness, blackness so they couldn't see my blackness, right? But then I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I, I remember when I went to an interview, and I think it was like 2014, and I was like, this is me. And it was a big thing because I knew – it was, I could not get that. It may be a, a real possibility that I may not get the job because they couldn't see me beyond my mm. hair, right? Anyway, one thing I do want to say is that um, white people also forget that we've made mistakes too with navigating those spaces and, and thriving where we were like, okay, well, we feel empowered like we can do this because our boss, probably the white boss, said that we can do these things. And the boss is like, no, 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 not like that. Or, you know, if we do this additional work, we'll get that promotion. Mm -hmm. And then the boss is like, actually, no, we're going to bring in um, uh, Billy from a different team <laughs> <laughs> into the role, even though I promised you, right, that position. So uh, it's important that in addition to that triathlon, that mistakes are continuous. Mistakes will be less over time with more practice, right, and more experience. And so what happens in the whole path of allyship to becoming an accomplice is that white people will get stuck. They'll get stuck at white centering, making about themselves. They'll get stuck because they're overwhelmed. They'll get stuck in white fragility, white guilt, white tears. But being stuck is a form of privilege. We can never be stuck. I can't be a woman and white. I'm always a black woman. I can't disassociate. 
So if there are any white people listening, don't vote for Trump this time around. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> that's what you did, white women, right? 53% of white women voted for Trump, and then they showed up at the rally like, this is horrible. It's like, okay, but you know you voted for him already when he was grabbing women's part. Anyway, so, you know, so that, that part is, like, crucial to the work to have forward momentum, even when mistakes happen. Be careful with missteps, because missteps is a way of saying, like, I'll probably do it again. Mistake mm-hmm. puts more onus and accountability on that individual because we understand what a mistake is. The intent mm-hmm. and imp- impact was not aligned. Mm-hmm. Right? I love what you're saying about the triathlon because I, what I've been noticing quite often um, within the past couple of months have been leaders who, or even just employees, right, who are now educating themselves. Like we sent out, you know, a little resource guide and they you read all the articles, watch the videos and about anti-racism. And I've, and you know, it's sort of like, I was in a meeting the other day where a pretty senior leader who happens to be white, I was talking and I said, people of color. And this leader said, oh no, Erica, it's BIPOC. <laughs> it's BIPOC. Yeah. And I said, oh, you're telling me that? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. But it's almost like, you know, they're in this moment of, I'm going to eat up all this information. I'm going to read everything. I'm going to read the New York Times every single Sunday. And I'm going to know like the right, the right terms to use. And I'm going to use it now in every single meeting with my, with my employees. But it's also um, like not a holistic education, right? Because they're, they're only focused on one aspect of like anti-racism or diversity, which is very specific to the business world, corporate America, whatever you want to call it, that they're not getting that other education about like the fundamentals, right? Or they're not actually diving as deep as they need to. And so they're showing up with their privilege, telling me how to, how to speak about people of color, which is like crazy to me. But it's, you know, and, and in that moment, you know, I have to check them. And I say, actually, no. And, you know, and so it's sort of, I've, I've gotten, I should say, when I first joined Condé Nast, a was very um, hesitant to be too direct. And as of today, I am as direct as I can be. <laughs> and that literally, and it's like over time, as you build relationships, and I'm sure Akilah, like with your clients, like as they get to know you and you get to know them, you feel um, a bit more, you learn them, right? And you know, okay, here are their triggers or, you know, here's how, if I say it this way, then they'll be more receptive to them if I say it this way, right? And so I've often sort of struggled with, you know, I need to get this point across. So how accommodating should I be? But I've also learned that, you know, when you're, you know, within a DNI role that's funded by, you know, by a company, there's a, a balance of give and take, right? Like not every leader is going to be on board or not every employee is going to be on board right away. And it's okay. You guys can sit at the side and I'll work with the people who are ready to receive this information. You know, I'll come back to you. And if you're still not ready, that's fine. But like, I can't stop the work that I'm doing just to accommodate a couple of people who, you know, aren't getting it or aren't receptive to it. So it's, it's, I always, I'm fascinated by, you know, um, DNI leaders who are in like within the organization and then consultants, because I think that we need both, right? Like I, I, I hire consultants all the time because mm-hmm. it's, I can't do this on my own. Like, you know, and I think that's the other thing, which I tell my, my team is like, I'm one person, you know, I'm, I'm one person working for a global company. There's no way that I can do this work on my own. And also, you know, I'm, again, I'm, we're not a monolith, right? So I need other people's experiences and identities to come into the fold and to, and to help me support the organization. And so mm-hmm. I think it's key that with this work, it's not just one person or, you know, 
a small group of people, in order to be the most effective, you really do have to rely on different groups of people to, to help support. Okay. I, I, I want to just ask a question because I think it's like complicated to answer. So there was a, a post I saw from this woman who um, I think she was a curator at the Guggenheim at some point. And so she was, and she was extremely outspoken at the time about racism there. And, you know, and since the, the, the murders of George Floyd and Amy Cooper's and the racial reckoning, a lot of people have been messaged being like, girl, if it weren't for you saying that, like, I wouldn't be able to speak my mind now. And a lot of people are referencing her and like their own kind of calls to action or call outs and organizations. And she's like, stop using my name, you cowards. <laughs> she was like, when it wasn't cute and I was the only one putting my neck out there, like, I, no one had my back or people would, like you ever been on a call that's a group call and you say something and someone private messages you being like go girl and like what's well, like go girl in front of everybody else that's what's really going to help this actually change and so I think that even amongst and so like the point of me bringing that up is this woman had a lot of stuff to say about black people and other people who are in these spaces kind of letting shit slide so they could get what she described as their seat at the table eating crumbs which is a read <laughs> um, uh, I was like, wow, like, I think there's just a lot of healing in this space, even in our community. Cause I think there has been a lot of people who are just as committed to the work as you two. Um, and maybe like, didn't wait till they thought it was a good time to speak up. And those people have either been pushed out or like those people are maybe not in the organization where they thought they might be as a result of that. Like, how do we approach this as an opportunity for healing you know, for those people as well, not just for the people who we want to stop kind of committing infractions and start doing good things. How do you get people who have been in an organization that they've been saying is racist for a long time to want to thrive and believe they can in an organization? Because I'd be skeptical. Hmm. So I would just say that, you know, someone messaged me and they're like, I love everything that you say. Are all black people like you? And I was like, oh boy, well, I don't think I have time to. You're like, where the fuck do I start? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of those things. Is that what you say about all white people? Um, it, there was a compliment in there, but, you know, there's, there's for sure bias. So I think it's important to note um, a couple of things. One, it is absolutely fine for black people to educate, and it's absolutely fine for black people to not educate. One side shouldn't judge one or the other for doing so. So the reason why I do this work is because I know black people. So there are black people out there who do not want to educate. And I'm like, well, let me take this from you. I'm happy to do that because I happen to get paid. That also helps um, <laughs> in doing that, right? So it makes it it's easier in that case. But there's a lot of difference of opinion because I don't know, maybe just maybe we all have different lived experiences <laughs> with being black. We have colorism, right? We have different educational backgrounds. I mean, so many things that are just normal to how we will respond to something, how much we want to do. We also have different boundaries around what we're doing, right? And what we're not doing. So for instance, in my case, I would, my clients have to say BIPOC, they can't say POC. And that's because they have to learn the importance of why we call out black and indigenous, you know, for slavery and near genocide. And so that's how I teach them like, nope, yep. I know we used to say POC, but you know what happened? You know what happened on May 26th? We stopped saying that, right? Because that's how they're learning, you know, how to do things. But another black person can say, you know, you can say POC or call me African-American. And some people are like, no, call me black, right? So there's a lot of nuances and variations there. But the key here is understanding, having compassion, 
listening and not judging one another, right? And I don't want to be all like, we need to come together and like uplift. That's probably impossible because again, we all have different lived experiences, but we can have respect for one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's all about respect. And I, it's one of the questions I actually get a lot in my role just from black people throughout the company who struggle with um, how vocal they should be, you know, if it's going to be a detriment to their, to their career progression, right? If they heard someone say something, this person is maybe a bit more senior, do they call it out? Do they leave it alone? Um, and so those are, and also, you know, black people talking about other black people, right? And like, oh, like I was in a meeting with so-and-so and they, they didn't say anything. And why didn't they say anything? You know, and I'm like, well, that, that's not leave them alone. Like they don't, they don't have to say anything. But I, I do think that um, when you're one of a few in an organization, you know, it's, I'm the type of person in the elevator, like say hi to every black person, say hi to everyone actually, but like really like if there's, if there's someone that I haven't, I know pretty much most <laughs> of the BIPOC employees that we have. And so it makes it easier for me to build a relationship but I'm also one of the people that they immediately, that they're, that they're told to meet with, right? Unofficially, like, you have to meet with Erica, you know? Right. Great, go meet with her. Like, she's an ally. Like, she's got your back. And so, you know, I find myself a lot of the times having to coach employees and say, like, your experience is not that person's experience, right? And you can't judge them because you don't know what's happening in their personal life. And also, like, it actually doesn't matter, right? Like, at the end of the day, they they could be on a great team and like just love their time, you know, at the company and, and not see the issues that maybe you see. And, and I said, you know, you just have to always speak for yourself. You can think about your community while you're um, maybe trying to launch an initiative or trying to call something out, but like you have to always speak from your experience. Um, and so, and that part has been quite challenging, I would say, especially over the past two months. Um, and this is, this is even like as a DNI leader, I've I've struggled with how do you even how do you coach more senior people who are white who now want to talk to every single black person in the company that they've never spoken to before, right? To check in, <laughs> to make sure they're okay, you know, and it's and it's one of those things where, you know, it's completely just like invading just like personal space and it's just like inappropriate in general. But there's such a fear from white people about, oh, if I don't ask, then I'm racist. Oh, my colleague is black. So if I don't ask my colleague how they're doing, because I'm, I know from Instagram that, you know, the black people aren't happy right now. So how do, I, <laughs> how do I, you know, I'll post my, my, black, my black square to show that, you know, I stand in solidarity with, you know, my black colleagues and all that. And and so, you know, I've had to go into rooms and say, look, you know, I understand your intent, but leave the black people alone. <laughs> like, just leave, leave them alone. They will be Please. fine. They will come to you if they need anything. Like, you know what? Actually, go through me. If you have a question about whether or not you should reach out to the black employee that you've never spoken to, come to me first. All right. And, and, we'll, and we'll work through it. And so, you know, it's that part, I think, um, has been quite challenging and it makes me think of like not just um black people having respect of other black people but just like everyone in the organization being respectful of just um differences right like whether you're black white latinx asian whatever we all come from different backgrounds and experiences and we can't assume what anyone's going through right we have to let people 
work through it. And when they're ready to come to us, then, then we can move forward. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a lot of coaching, a lot of advising and just literally crossing my fingers and hoping that people just let, leave everyone alone and, and let it be. Well, it's just like for someone that's outside of the corporate space for the most part, it's just been to me, what's characterized it and what's made it really unattractive to me is like, it's just not a space that seems to value people. Like, it's like, we're all here to value this other thing that we can all agree. Well, like, whether that's money or whether that's this product or whether that's this, like, technology or this brand or this industry. Like, we all care about that thing, but, like, not necessarily each other. And mm-hmm. I think that has had so many wide implications for how women are treated, how LGBT people, how everyone's treated. Because ultimately, like, even the straight white guy who works in an organization that everyone hates him or fears him or, you know, they, like, know they're keeping his secrets so he's having to blackmail everyone. Like, that's just a really terrible place to be. And I think that, you know, this racial reckoning, which is kind of like the me too of racism, or I don't know how you would think of it because it's, like, so baked into like kind of everyone's experience of the workplace. I think it's, it's really interesting for me to see you guys kind of, I'm really gratified because like, to me, it's always been a place where like, I wouldn't thrive in that type of environment. So I'm just going to like, not put anyone through that or myself. Um, And I think that that could change, you know, with the types of policies and leadership that you guys have. I have one specific kind of corporate example that I wanted us to unpack and that I know we have to go. But when I look at the NFL, for instance, like I see the prime example of a intransigent kind of like, you want to say like, I want to be more racist. Like that's the NFL. That's good. Old, you know, Wait, you mean and, the Washington football team? Yeah. The Washington. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're still calling it Washington, but whatever. At least not the Redskins. I'm like, Washington's pretty problematic at this point, but you know, I'm like, but I'm saying like, you have someone who had like a very specific, very like initially subtle gesture that was kind of talking about, we're trying to open up the door to a conversation about racial justice and the way he was treated and the backlash he received and the, and the refusal to back down that the organization had, I thought was just mind blowing, especially when you read how, what percentage of their employees, players, those are employees mm-hmm. are black, you know? So that's one example. And then I see NASCAR which like, I can't tell you where on my list NASCAR was in terms of racist companies, but it was, I mean, I had no expectations for NASCAR. I was like, I don't even know what they're doing over there. how they close the garage. So I don't understand what the problem is here. But, but what I'm saying is like, they're, but like for them to say like, no more Confederate flags, I'm like, well, where else can you bring that shit? Like if not there. And then for them to kind of show the solidarity for Bubba, whether or not it was a noose or whatever happened, I just saw like, from the lowest of the low expectations, here's someone who's like at least trying more than I thought they might. And then you have someone who has every reason to want to do the best job on this possible and is still you know, getting dragged, kicking and screaming. It's like, what would you kind of like, which company would you rather work with, honestly? It's like, I would want to do a project at NASCAR because at least they seem to be kind of trying to question who they are and who their core constituency needs to be. Maybe you have different opinions about that. NFL, like, you know, do I, would I rather be Jay-Z being like, well, this one has a huge platform and we're just going to get them where they need to get to. I just see like those being two types of organizations that I'm not sure like kind of who's doing a worse or better job, you know? I don't think it's who's doing worse or better. I think you're seeing examples of performative allyship and activism and white centering. So NASCAR hasn't done enough for me to be like, oh yeah, no, they're on the right path. 
you know, and remember, it's the individuals who decided to take that picture and be in solidarity with, with Bubba, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's the individuals, right? That's why, you know, the organizational part, when you look at leadership, is, is, is crucial. It's important. The NFL could have apologized to Colin Kaepernick, right? The NFL right. listened to Colin Kaepernick. And if we, if we want to talk about white privilege, Colin Kaepernick's information came from a white veteran who said, get off the bench, kneel. Right. And they have a relationship that they had over a couple of years. And this is a veteran who was upset. And then once talking to Colin understood where he was coming from. Right. So this is why I'm saying be careful of the people who are like, oh, Black Lives Matter now. Because my entire blackness has been around since 1982. And if you decided in May, June or July that I matter, you have to show me way more. Mm -hmm than just your performative stuff. Now, if you believe sure. in the humanity of me, that's different. That's not performative allyship because you're like, I'm going to undo, I'm going to unlearn, I'm going to advocate. I'm, all, I'm with that. That's fine. But a lot of people are living in that performative white centering space, right? And so when you are comparing the two, equally, they have more work to do. Am I hopeful in general? Yes, because I haven't seen anything like this. And people are like, well, civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. But civil rights did not have Twitter, did not have Instagram, right? And so that those have been great tools to inform, educate, empower, and hold people accountable. And to, to get to more of calling in opposed to calling out or cancel culture of saying, that's not okay, but what are you doing about it? Or that's not okay. Have you, can we have a conversation? That's not okay. You know, here's this resource. And so people are also coming into the um, accountability of things instead of just canceling people. Although President Twitter, the current president, should be canceled. I have, I have no, I have no disagreement there when it comes to, you know, cancel culture. So that's what I would say about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I would be curious about what's happening internally because, to Akila's point, I think a lot of it is just like. You know, it's, it's for show. It's things that should have, it's like the easy thing to, to touch on the list, the long list of things that need to get done, right? And so like I know with the NFL, they have the Rooney rule, which really hasn't worked, right? And so I'm not sure with NASCAR, if, um, if there are any um, internal commitments or initiatives around just making the company more inclusive. I'd be interested in seeing what their, their um, makeup of their representation of employees looks like. But that's, those are always the questions that I have because I think every company today, you know, is putting out something that's very externally focused. And I'm sure like if you were to go speak with the employees, they would say the same thing. Like we haven't seen much happening on the inside. Um, and it also, I think it also matters about who's leading the initiative, right? Who, who's at the top. And I think you can, to Akilah's point, I think you, there are people that can change, right? So there are leaders that maybe for a long time believed something and it wasn't right and now they're changing and, they're, and, they're, and they want to get on the right path now. And I am all for that, right? I, I really don't believe in cancel culture. I believe, to, again, to Akilah's point of calling people in and helping them understand and to do better. Um, and I would be interested before picking NFL or NASCAR to, to understand like where their leaders' heads are at, right? And what they've learned over the, the past couple months or year or whatever. And, um, you know, what's, what's the work happening internally? So, um, but I do think, I would say, I do think we were going to start to see incremental change. I think that about half, I think probably about half of the companies that have made public commitments probably 
won't change in the way that we expect them to, but I think the other half will 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 see some pretty decent commitments. And it's honestly up to the public to hold these people accountable. Continue calling out companies, right? Continue, you know, doing your investigative reporting in the best way that you can. Because, you know, unlike the civil rights movement, right, we do have Twitter, we do have social media, right, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, where, you know, you can tag people and, and companies are looking at it. I'm t- I work for one, we're looking at it, we're responding to people, and people are asking us real questions, right, and questions that actually we are taking back to our teams and saying, oh, shit, like, we, like, how, like, this is a good question. Like, how, like, what are, like, how are we going to respond to this? What are we doing? Like, what can, what can we say? And so I think that matters a lot today, that companies do want to have that relationship with their consumers, right, with the people who, you know, are going to purchase the tickets or, you know, attend their games or buy their magazines. And so they want to be able to say, this is what we're doing, and, and it to be real and, and authentic and not something that was made up two minutes ago just to appease an Instagram post. Right. And also we have the record. I mean, like the, what is happening, (laughs) an extreme generation of receipts are being generated. Mm -hmm. It's like, remember what you guys said in June, 2020? Mm -hmm. Well, it's now May, 2022. And we still have seen zero movement on your board, Mm -hmm. zero movement on your employee makeup. Like this many editors in chief are still not a BIPOC, you know, Mm -hmm. y'all say BIPOC and I'm putting no BIPOC in there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, I think that (laughs) we are generating a, 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 the possibility for extreme accountability because um, there were no commitments necessarily on this level before. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to say before we go, and I'll let you guys make any last comments is that I'm really, I really hope that you, the people who are doing this work, it is, it has been thankless for a really long time. And now it's, you know, almost swung way too much the other side where you're almost too inundated, but I want people to appreciate who are watching this, just how difficult this work is, just how, you know, brilliant and tactful and aggressive and empathetic, all those things that each of you have to be every day at your work. I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of things that you've endured um, at Condé, just being a black woman, period. Because like, let's not forget, you're also black women just at work trying to do whatever it is you do. And that's hard no matter what, let alone kind of with the responsibility of like showing everyone how to be and modeling also. It's like, it should be okay for you guys to also not get it right 100% of the time. And, you know, I think you've earned some grace if you have mistakes every time and again. And I think you'll also be able to model that type of accountability for your organization. So I just want to commend you guys because honestly, I mean, I've been approached about doing work similar to that. I'm like, I don't know if I have the strength to go into a company that I know isn't fucking up and, and me being like, well, here's what we do. You know, like, I, I think that like all of us are going to have to, I mean, here's the part I'm trying to play. So I really appreciate the part that each of you are playing. Thank you, Trey. And, and, and I really and, appreciate you guys being on here. No, honestly. And I'll tell you like what keeps me going are, are people like you and Akila. Like, honestly, I do whatever I can to, to broaden my network of people who I can lean on. And I know that people who um, would like to lean on me. And so that's really what has helped me do the work that I do and to stay in it and also have people remind me like, take a day off or take a week off. You know what I mean? Like just focus on yourself and, and your mental and emotional health and all that will still be there always, <laughs> unfortunately. So, you know, we, you know, you take time off and you get back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, saying white supremacy, ending white supremacy, dismantling white supremacy. It brings me joy. 
<laughs> it does. I'm not gonna lie. It brings me joy that I'm able to to say that. Um, I love that I'm able to be me and make money. I refuse to compromise for anyone. I have more flexibility doing that because this is my business. I love the word no, you know, and I don't have, I don't have time for people who don't want to change. It's not my job to get them to change. I can have influence. Sure. But I'm, you are accountable for your own actions. If you're choosing to not do anything moving forward, when you now know, right? Because like Erica said, when you don't know, you don't know. But when you know, you were saying, hey, I would like a card for club racism, please. And that's on them mm-hmm. because they know exactly what they're doing now. Right. So anyway, I love what I do. I think both of you are amazing and wonderful. Thank you both for just being black <laughs> and in spaces. Right. Um, but also using your, your voice and your platform um, to just let people know that we deserve to be treated with humanity and equality and respect. So Thank you. Well, that's a wonderful note to end on. I think for all the black employees out there, keep, keep on trucking, you know, like it's getting, <laughs> it's getting better bit by bit and we're all doing what we can and you know, God bless. Cause it's definitely not easy. So thank you too much. Thank you so much to Dr. Gaudet, Akila on the streets and Erica. Love it. Um, I really appreciate this. And, uh, We'll talk soon. We'll check in maybe a year from now and see where things are at. <laughs> oh, that's Post a good November, idea. Yeah. We, oh, mentioned, yeah. we mentioned the election. Where are they now? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Going up. All right, well, take care. I'll talk to you guys Thank soon. You. Thank Bye. you, Trey. Bye.